I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about uh, a person who never had a child of their own, but we call her Mother Teresa. Her name has, the, has that word mother attached to it. And you know, I've mentioned her you know, briefly. You know that I like her. You know that she's made a big, big impact on me and the world. And um, I'm just going to share some words about her, and I'm going to be reading a portion of the Bible that she quoted often. Now, she was born in 1910, and she died in 1997. And we'll talk a little bit more about the significance of when she died a little bit later. But I'm going to read a little bit out of this book that I have here. I was talking about Eric Metaxas last week, and I have this book, and it's uh, titled uh, Seven Men, Seven Women. So it's a, uh, a brief on seven different men that have made a huge impact on the world and seven different women, and the seventh woman, the last one that he talks about in this book is Mother Teresa. Now he was... Uh, Eric Metaxas was asked to come in 2012 to be the speaker at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. Now, he immediately started thinking about Mother Teresa because when you think about all the prayer, the prayer breakfasts, the national prayer breakfasts that have been in this country, the only one that you might remember is the one that Mother Teresa did. I know it's the only one I remember. When I think, when I hear that national prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C., I think of Mother Teresa. I think of her being so small, tiny lady, a tiny, frail lady, and she was behind the podium. I remember seeing it. I remember watching and they had to put a crate down here so she could stand on the crate so she could barely see over uh, the podium there and the microphone was pretty much blocking her face. She was a type of person that would not want to do anything like that to, to uh, you know, make herself seen. So but she was so led by the Spirit that she realized that she needed to go do certain things like that. God was sending her because she had a message. Now, she was born very poor. And she grew up, by the age of 12, she pretty much knew that God had called her to do a great work, and she went to go do it. She uh, w was wanting to go... And her mother told her, no, she couldn't go. And she didn't backtalk her mom. She just went directly to prayer, and she prayed nonstop until her mother said, I think you are ready to go. That's the kind of person she was. She had so much faith in what God was doing in her life that she knew he would make it happen. And she knew the best way was, was prayer. So... Uh, let me read a little bit, just, some, just uh, some things that happen. In modern times, few have had the impact Mother Teresa did. 
Her very name represented and still represents holiness and compassion to many around the world. Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Hindus, and atheists all respected and loved her. She lived out the commands of Christ, which is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And she deliberately made some of the poorest people on earth her nearest neighbors. Some years ago, passengers on a Pan Am flight were startled by an announcement from the jet's co-pilot. Emerging from the cockpit, he told them that they had a special guest on board. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, founder of the Missionaries of Charity, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, and friend to everyone from destitute leprosy victims to Pope John Paul II. The co-pilot pulled off his cap and, and, and asked if the passengers if they wanted to assist Mother Teresa's work with the poor. He said they could put money in his cap. He then walked up and down the aisles, and when he returned to the front, he had more than $600 to present to this tiny elderly, elderly nun. On principle, Mother Teresa always bought economy class tickets, but was routinely bumped up to first class. So basically, she wanted, uh, she even offered one time to work as a stewardess on the flight if she could fly for free. She was just trying to save money. But she would get on the plane, never had a first class ticket, and they would see who it was and they would move her. The uh, airline stewardesses would take very good care of her. She deserved every bit of it. All right, I'm going to read a little bit out of uh, what I told you I was going to read. Matthew 25, Matthew 25, starting with verse 31. Now, this is the Olivet Discourse, part of it. Now, I've been, I have been going through Matthew quite a bit lately. We uh, were in Matthew 13, and that's kind of got us off into a bunch of different areas of the Word of God. But the Olivet Discourse, now, this is not in any other gospel. This Olivet Discourse is very unique to the gospel of Matthew. Now, it's, it, listen, listen carefully the wording. Now, the Olivet Discourse starts at the beginning of chapter 25, and that is <coughs> the ten virgins. Uh, there was five who had oil, and there's five who didn't. And then uh, it goes on to the next section. It's talking about the talents, you know, one receiving the five talents and what he did with it, and then one that received two and what he did with it, and then the one who, who was the slothful, lazy servant who did nothing with the one, and this is all kingdom of heaven principles. Now, when we get down to 31, this is where it's talking about the, the, the king separating the sheep from the goats. Remember, this is kingdom of heaven principles. 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, so that's when he comes back again in his glory, 
and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Notice that. All nations. This isn't necessarily talking about each individual person, but all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, in today, here over the last few years, you've heard the term, He is the goat. And that stands for greatest of all times. Well, that's a very worldly statement. It's lifting up a sports athlete as being the greatest. Well, a goat is not the greatest. We should be wanting to be sheep. We should be not wanting to lift ourselves up and how great we are, but to lift up Jesus. And we do that as being sheep and being willing to be led by the shepherd. Goats are very selfish, rude as they could be. If you don't believe me, come over to the house and take care of mine just for a day. You'll see it within minutes of how pitiful they are. And, you know, they're strong. They can jump a fence. They can jump up on top of a huge rock. I, I can remember putting a hay bale having a hay bale, a big round bale, put over the fence, and the little one climbed the hay bale and jumped over the fence to get out to freedom. Just like that. It was, I was like, wow. You know, a sheep is not that smart. A sheep would not figure that out. But a goat, they will do all kinds of crazy stuff. They'll eat the things you don't want them to eat, and the stuff you do want them to eat, they'll just go right on by it. They're, they're pitiful. And I wouldn't want to be called a goat. And here in the Word of God, I don't want to be called a goat. It shows me right here I'd rather be a sheep. Now, what is it that they were, they were being told to come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world? For he, This is the reason. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in, naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hunger, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison and came unto thee, and the king, notice, it's the king, capital K, king, shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now the rest, the ones that are on his left hand, the goats, he says, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
And then he goes through the whole list of all that again, saying, you did none of these things for me. And they ask, when did we not do? And he says, when you didn't do it to the least, then you didn't do it to me. Now, that was something that Mother Teresa spoke about all the time. That is what motivated her to go do. She saw Jesus in everybody because of this of these verses right here. When she saw someone sick and laying in the gutter in India, dying, and no one seemed to care, she saw Jesus laying there. Think of all the little children that she took in. She never had her very own daughter, but yet she was the mother of thousands upon thousands of little kids. And not only that, but there were so many women who grew up that wanted to be like her. She went, on, she went out to take on a job that was way too much for her to do. And she never thought about how she was unable to do it. All she could think about is that with God helping her, she can do anything. You know, we as humans, we look at all the problems in the world even in our own families, in our own communities, in our country. But look at what she had to deal with. And we will get discouraged and say, we just can't do it. But yet, she looked at the impossible things and went and did them anyway, knowing that God was with her. Now, I've said before, if you try to live up to all of these things that I just read, and you're trying to get your salvation, your security, out of trying to keep up with all this, you'll never do it. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that if you don't obey this perfectly, then you're just lost. And live a life of fear because you'll never measure up to this. Now a little bit later we're going to read another little section of Scripture and try to uh, explain that a little better on what you should be looking to. All right, I'm going to read a little bit more out of uh, this Eric Metaxas book. All right, here's, a, here's something that happened. She opened up so many different uh, things that helped people. And one of the things was, I mean, I'll just read this. Okay, just feeding people, caring for the elderly, I mean, think about the, the old people that just could not uh, help themselves. She was doing all these things. She had, she had people that would give her a building. There, there, I think Pope John Paul gave her a limousine at one point, and she sold it and used the money to buy for other people. So here's something that happened. So uh, there's a... I was talking about all the women who she inspired to come help her. Well, they started showing up one after the other. They just kept showing up. She'd get one, and then she'd get another, and then get another. And then over time, it got to about 4,000 young ladies who wanted to be nuns like her and go help. They're, they ended up making another organization where men could join in. Uh, I mean, it's just, if you go back and research what she accomplished 
it's amazing. Okay, so here's, uh, there, there the sisters would take in the sick and the dying. Talking about this place called uh, the place of the Immaculate Heart. And this was just a place, that it was, it was formerly, formerly a Hindu building, and it had a bad name to it, and they took it over and changed the name to it. And all these sisters that had come to help her, they were working there, and they uh, brought these people in. Some of them they knew were dying, and they said uh, they just wanted them to feel loved and wanted them uh, in the presence of a gentle, smiling face. At death, each person was allowed the rituals of his faith, whether Christian, Hindu, or Muslim. Now, not surprisingly, some of the more radical Hindus were not pleased that Christian nuns were working on the premises of a Hindu goddess and perhaps even you know, convincing these Hindus to become Christians. They didn't like it at all. So when Mother Teresa took over the building, violent protests followed. One day, a Hindu leader gathered a mob of young people armed with stones to help him drive out Mother Teresa and her helpers. When she heard all of the craziness that was going outside, she came out of the front door and courageously and calmly approached the mob. She soon learned who was leading this angry crowd and addressed him directly inviting the Hindu leader to come inside and see for himself what the sisters were doing. When he came out a short time later, the mob, still waiting for his instructions, asked him if they could begin what they had come to do, drive out the nuns by force. And the leader said, Yes, you can, but only... When your sisters and your mothers do what those sisters are doing in there. He was so touched by the care they were giving to the people who were sick and dying and just needed help. He was so impressed by it, he he just let her go. Just let, let her alone. As the years passed, Mother Teresa received recognition and awards which she always accepted on behalf of those she served. Documentaries, documentaries would, say the word, were made of her life and work, and the famous, including sports stars, film celebrities, and Princess Diana, began to beat a path to her door to meet this woman many considered a living saint and to ask her blessing. Mother Teresa treated them just as she treated Calcutta's poor, with warmth and compassion. And she reminded one and all that taking care of the poor and hungry was nothing heroic or extraordinary. She referred to it as a simple duty for you and for me. In 1979, one of the world's greatest honors was bestowed on Mother Teresa. When she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, she decided that she would travel to Oslo, Norway, to accept the prize in person. But in her typical fashion, even in this highly secular nation, Mother Teresa did not hesitate to proclaim her faith to the gathering of well-dressed guests, which included Norway's royal family. 
Jesus, she announced, died on the cross to show that greater love. And he died for you and for me and for that leper and for that dying of hunger and that naked person lying in the street. And we read that in the gospel very clearly, love as I have loved you, as I love you, as the Father has loved me, I love you. She spoke of the spiritual poverty of wealthy nations where aging relatives are pushed into nursing homes. Relatives who suffer emotional pain because they are seldom visited. She spoke of parents who were too busy working to pay attention to their children. And then she took direct aim at the violence of abortion in a country that had not only legalized it, but also provided state funds to pay for what she regarded as nothing less than the murder of a human child. She said in her speech, accepting this Nobel Peace Prize, the greatest destroyer of peace today, because if a mother can kill her own child, what is left for me to kill you and you to kill me? There is nothing between. Today, millions of unborn children are being killed and we say nothing. Nobody speaks of the millions of little ones who have been conceived with the life as you and I. We allow it. She said, to me, the nations who have legalized abortion, they are the poorest nations. They are afraid of the little one. They are afraid of the unborn child. They are, the, the child must die because they don't want to feed one more child, to educate one more child. She reminded her unsmiling audience of the humanity of the unborn baby. She said, it, it was that unborn child that recognized the presence of Jesus when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. As we read the gospel, the moment Mary came into the house, the little one in the womb of his mother leaped with joy, recognizing the Prince of Peace. And so today, let us here make a strong resolution we are going to save every little child, every unborn child, give them a chance to be born. We are fighting abortion with adoption. And the good God has blessed the work so beautifully, we have saved thousands of children and thousands of children have found a home where they are loved and wanted. And so today I ask you, let us all pray that we have the courage to stand by the unborn child. Now, 15 years later is when she was invited to the National Prayer Breakfast. And that's what started this whole little story. Was Eric Metaxas thinking about her speech at the National Prayer Breakfast. So 15 years later, when she was invited... Addressing President Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, 
Vice President Al Gore and Tipper Gore, members of the U.S. House and Senate, religious leaders, and the very court, the very Supreme Court, that had put their legal okay, they made it law in this country where you could legally kill unborn babies, that Senate, that, that Supreme Court was sitting there listening to her. Mother Teresa said, but I feel, she said the same thing she said 15, 15 years earlier, I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Because Jesus said, if you receive a little child, you receive me. So every abortion is the denial of receiving Jesus, is the neglect of receiving Jesus. Now, what happened right after she said that, the audience broke out into what seemed like would never end applause. The news media did not cover that at all. If you go back and look at YouTube videos of it, you'll find some that will show that. How she couldn't speak anymore because of the applause. Some of the cameras will pan out and you will see the President of the United States and his wife, the Vice President and his wife, sitting on either side, not clapping at all, and had these looks on their faces like, I just want to be and I remember that. I still have the image of that in my brain. I can see it right now. You know, Mother Teresa resigned when she was like 80, and then they just reinstated her right away, and she said, well, if they reelected me, then I guess it's God's will, and she went right back to work. In 97, I remember that year, Princess Diana died in a car crash. I believe she was in Paris, running away from the paparazzi. She was in her 30s, and just a few days later, Mother Teresa passed. Everybody was so into Princess Diana dying, and it was all over everything. All the magazines, the news channels, everything was about Princess Diana. And you didn't see anything about Mother Teresa. But the people in India, they remembered her. They remember her very well. They had a huge funeral for her. They had people come from all over the world. Didn't see a whole lot about it on the news, but people came from all over the world. Something I want you to see before we finish up today is uh, Luke 15. There is some parables of the lost sheep, a parable of the lost coin, in the parable of the lost son. This is uh, Luke chapter 15. I see the Trinity here. I see the shepherd, the good shepherd, in the parable of the lost sheep. We need to recognize that we are lost and that we stray away from protection. And we don't realize the danger that we put ourselves in by straying away. All it takes is a little hole in the hedge, and a sheep might go through there. And what happens is other sheep tend to follow. And if, if, if any one of us, whether we're a mother or father, a, church, a person who just goes to church and, and we stray, we go our own way, we're in danger of 
other people following. <clears throat> as a, uh, a mother, as a father, we need to realize that we're sheep, that we make bad decisions, and we need to be in the protection of the shepherd. We are all lost. And the shepherd has set aside the 99 to come out after us. Now, the 99, if you go back and read before this parable, you're going to see where the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, were disgusted with Jesus because Jesus was eating with sinners. He was hanging out with sinners and inviting them for meals. And he would sit down with these people, and the scribes and the Pharisees were repulsed by that. The scribes and the Pharisees were self-righteous people who thought they were up here and all those other people were way, way down here. They, they said, even said they didn't have need for repentance. They just didn't see where they were sinners. They didn't see where they were lost sheep. And if you don't ever want to admit that you are a lost sinner, then you're going to be part of the 99 that just live this life and perish when you need to be the one that Jesus goes after. And he goes after the repentant, the one that realizes they are lost. Jesus will come after you. We don't have enough sense to go to him. But when we just realize that we're lost sheep, he comes after us. And until Jesus comes after you and saves you, notice in this story that he finds the lost sheep and he lays the lost sheep across his shoulders. His shoulders. Now in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, part of that big long verse talks about how, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The whole government of the world... It's just on his shoulder. That huge government of the world is on one shoulder, but a little tiny lost sheep he'll put across both shoulders. Think about how special you are as a lost sheep, that he would put you across both of his shoulders, and how perfectly safe you are in Christ. The second part of it is... The lost coin. Notice that this is a picture of the Holy Spirit. After the shepherd has saved you, he's gone out and he's rescued you, and now he sends the Holy Ghost into the house. We are the house of the Holy Spirit. We, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and starts cleaning up because we are imperfect. We have great value, but yet we don't even know it because we're just a coin. A coin doesn't know any better. A coin just got dropped. It just suffers from the law of gravity. It fell down into the darkness and into the dirt. We need to see ourselves there that it may not be our faults that we are as lost as we are, but the Holy Spirit, it wants to come in and clean up and find that one coin of value. When the shepherd finds us, puts us on his shoulders, 
then the Holy Spirit comes into us, and then we are made perfect for being that lost son that comes back. The, remember, the lost, the prodigal, y'all know this so well. The prodigal son, you've heard it so many times. He makes very bad decisions. The father allows it. The father could have grabbed a hold of him and not let him go. But because we all have free will, the father says, if you think you know better, here's your inheritance, go. And he goes and he wastes it all. And he's watching what the pigs are eating, thinking the pigs are eating better than I am. And, it, and what's so important about it is, is he realizes that he messed up and that he wants to go back to his father, not to be put back into his place of sonship, but just to be a servant. And he, that's his heart. So when we turn back to God and that's our heart, then he receives us just like the father received this prodigal son. He sees him coming from a long ways off. He already knows. The Father already knows. All you got to do is make that first step back to Him, and He's ready to not just make you a servant, but to make you a son and to put on you the robe, to put up the ring on your finger, put the sandals on your feet, and to kill the fatted calf and make this wonderful festival because you, just you, who don't deserve any of this, has come back to Him. And that's being re reunited with the Father in heaven for eternity. And all the angels in heaven are rejoicing when just one of us decides to come back. The very last thing, thinking about Mother Teresa. <clears throat> Langford, I think is his name, wrote about her. Father Joseph Langford, he said talking about after she died and, and there was a lot of letters that she wrote to her mentors, you know, and how she struggled. How she would go into the darkest places of the world and she felt like, was God there? You know, there were some times that she remembered in her past where it was much better to be at the convent and, and just feeling the presence of God, but she would go out into places where I mean, she was... She really struggled. And so don't think that doing the work of the Lord is going to be easy. You're going to have to go to some rough places. And this Father Langford, he was saying that it is clear that Mother Teresa's inner and outer world was a place in which the brilliance of God's light and the bleakness of man's darkness met and mingled. You know, there, there was a story where she went to a place, or no, uh, the news media, somebody came and wanted to film her work. And when they went into the place, the, there was only windows, there was no lights. And it was high windows that let sunlight in. And the cameraman knew from experience that he wasn't going to be able to pick it up. And they didn't have time to do any artificial lighting to put this, and it was supposed to go on TV and they went ahead and did it anyway. And then he tried to do some stuff outside that maybe that would be able to air. And when they produced it all, it was like, the guy was like, this is not, it can't happen. But everything he filmed, it was the beautiful light that they had never seen.
And they were able to air off. And the stuff he did outside that he thought he had plenty of light, it was dark. He was freaked out. What emerged from that inner struggle was a light in no way lessened her bearing the cloak of humanity's pain, but a light all the more resplendent and all the more approachable, a light entirely accessible to the poorest, beckoning to God's brightness, all who share in the common human struggle. Those who made the decisions to publish her words had done so in order to increase not only the world's understanding of Mother Teresa, but also the true meaning of holiness. Mother Teresa was considered a saint because she was seen to personify an ideal to love God and to love one's neighbor. And yet what she did was so simple that each one of us can do it. In fact, we must do it. If we are to obey the command of Christ to feed the hungry, care for the sick, invite the stranger in, clothe the naked, visit those in prison, and quench the thirst of those who simply need a cup of water. It was constant prayer that gave Mother Teresa the strength to keep going and caused her to produce such tremendous fruit. And it is prayer that must undergird all efforts to obey God because as Mother Teresa of Calcutta would be the first to say, obedience is not always easy. In fact, without God's help, it is impossible. As Langford put it, Mother Teresa plunged for love's sake into the dark homes and dark hearts of the poor. May her gentle, guiding light, born of the heart of the Almighty, be yours. Listen to this. A light that flies not from darkness, but ever. Heavenly Father, help us. Father, help us to see the hurt that's in this world and Father, help us to have a heart like that, that we will not be afraid of the darkness and to run from it, but we will be a people who are depending on you to give us the strength that we need and the love that only you can give to not run away from it, Father, but Father, there are so many dark, dark places and dark hearts. And Father, we have the light. Father, we have the light. For your word says, For God who commended the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, I pray that, like was said earlier, that we study it, that we know it, so that we do have that confidence to be able to speak it when the time comes. Thank you, Lord.
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.